0: Good morning, Orchard and those joining us online. We are here in uncharted waters. And whether you are with us on Facebook or on YouTube or on our podcast, I'm glad you're here. But I want to clue you in a little bit on what you can expect from this video. What's going to follow is a message about having peace amidst some terrifying circumstances. And in the coming minutes, I'm praying that you are challenged and inspired to know new peace and new strength, that you can choose how you move forward from this moment on. You can choose the, the path of peace or the path of panic. You can choose faith or fear or the path of wisdom or the path of worry. And so part of today's challenge for you, though, is you're not here with me. <laughs> I'm here in an empty room. And so this is a video. And let's be honest, we have short attention spans for videos. Some of you have already clicked out. I mean, there's candy that needs crushing. There's there's Pinterest and Insta that needs scrolling. And you may be watching this and, and your Facebook notifications just start chirping at you. And, and because I know you're all at home, so, social distancing, I know there's a few of you who are watching this from the comfort of your own bathroom. And yeah, I know who you are. But here's the challenge is that I want you to get everything settled before you go any further. Pause this, whatever you need to do, go refill your coffee, quarantine the kids to their room, turn off your notifications, and prepare your heart and your spirit. Prepare a place right now to carve out a space amidst all the panic for God to speak to you. And so for the following minutes, God wants your heart to hear something that you can hold on to in the coming days and weeks. Don't take this lightly. Because there's a lot of scary news and a lot of barrage of screaming voices out there telling us how to feel. And we want to fill our spirit with divine truth. And this is important. And so with that, we start our message by looking at one of the Bible's most interesting people in jail. It's the disciple Peter. It's the one who's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. He says the wrong thing. He, he takes risks that are, that are wild. And sometimes he fails flat on his face. He's passionate, he gets gets angry, he reacts out of fear, he's greatly affected by the circumstances around him. I mean, he's you, he's me. A little more about Peter, he was a religious reject. He failed out of seminary and went to work with his dad in the the family fishing industry. He was invited by this rabbi, this teacher named Jesus, to, to follow him and be his disciple. And true to form, Peter just dropped everything on a dime and followed this rabbi. He followed Jesus for three years, listening to him, learning from him, seeing amazing things happen, and being mentored by the Son of God. He watched Jesus be arrested, tortured, and beaten, and and finally crucified. And at that moment, his hopes were crushed. His faith was dashed, and he, he ran back to his old life and started fishing. But Peter encountered somebody. The resurrected Jesus, and it changed everything. And and he turned into a fierce believer once he met Jesus face to face after the resurrection. And he preaches, and he teaches, and he won't stop living out his faith to the point where we find him right now. He's imprisoned for preaching about his faith. And that's where we pick up in Acts 12, verses 1 through 5. It says this, King Herod decided to go after some of the church members. He murdered James. John's brother. And when he saw how much it raised his popularity among the people, he arrested Peter. All this was during the holy Passover week. He had Peter thrown in jail, putting four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. He was planning a public execution after the holiday was over. So we find Peter in jail. I mean, he's heavily guarded. And it's it's also, we find him, it's the night before his trial. And when I say trial it's not a trial like we think with a jury over there the jury's one person it's Herod and it's more just a kangaroo court just a judgment of execution Peter is in hopeless circumstances there's 16 soldiers assigned to him there's bars there's locks he's chained to two of them this is like Hannibal Lecter style treatment there's no natural way Peter gets out of this Peter is less than 12 hours from his execution from being publicly tortured and then painfully executed this is his last night on earth. And I just have a question. Like, like, how would you feel if you were there in that prison cell? How would you feel 12 hours from your death? And you know it. How would you feel? How would you sleep? Could you sleep? And here's what gets interesting to me, because, because we find Peter in this text. But before I... Hold on. I want to go back a little bit. Before I continue in Acts 12, I want to go back 15 years, because this is going to matter. Peter... 15 years ago, is a younger man. We look in Mark 4, and Jesus is with his 12 disciples, who at this point are teenage boys and young men, and they're in a fishing dinghy traveling across the sea. Jesus and his 12 disciples. But while they're out there in the middle of the sea, a squall blows in and hits their boat. A storm with harsh wind that, that blows the spray on their faces, and the boat is rocking, the rain is falling sideways, blinding them, soaking everything White-capped waves begin to crash the boat and start spilling over the sides. And and they're in this small wooden fishing vessel with no oars, no roof, no engine, no cover. And these disciples, these young men, struck by the storm. And as the water begins to pour into their boat, they begin to get scared, of course. Now, this little boat, there's, there's two fears that are present here. In the hearts and minds of these disciples. The first fear is a practical concern for their safety. I mean, they're saying the storm could sink our boat and we'll be spilled out into the water where we could drown. So they have a tangible fear of harm or dying. The first fear is practical. The second is irrational. You see, in their culture, in their society, they believe that the bottom of this sea was the underworld. They really believed this. The daily tablets and the news cycles declared there was unknown dangers down there in the sea. And if you fell in, you'd face horrific, demonic consequences. So their concern with their actual circumstances and their safety was legit. There was a threat. And along with that was this imaginary fear created by their culture Together they caused a true hysteria in these disciples. The first was the concern of, we may overturn the boat and fall into the sea. Joined forces with, what if we go to the underworld? They gave way to both of these fears. And of course, this caused them to panic. They feared for their lives and their souls, and hysteria ensued. Now while these disciples were being gripped by this panic, they look over to their rabbi, right? their teacher, their mentor, the one they follow daily, the the one who teaches them about life and about death. And and one quick insight about disciples. You see, what it means to be a disciple is they would follow a rabbi, not to learn what the rabbi knows, but to be like the rabbi. And this is very different than our culture, because in our culture, we want to master the information. And this culture we're talking about here, they wanted to become like their master. So they look at their rabbi and they find him, in the bottom of the boat. And guess what he's doing? He's resting peacefully. Jesus, fully God, fully man, peacefully sleeping in the midst of a storm. And when the disciples could take it no longer, they they roused Jesus out of his sleep and they begged him to save him. And in verse 39, when Jesus woke up, it says this, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. I mean, he immediately calms the storm. Wind turns to peace. The downpour stops. The waves, once angry and frothing, they just turn into a mirror-topped sea of tranquility. It happened so fast. that You know, there's those disciples. They're still sitting there. They're still panicked. They're still clinging to the side. And, and they're white-knuckled and wide-eyed. And you know that they're still yelling. Yeah, have you ever been like in a concert and you lean over to tell your buddy something? It's so loud you have to yell it. And right at that moment, the, the music goes down. And you, I don't think she's that into me. I mean, if you had those moments? I think it happened here, but I'm certain there was a disciple or two that was gripping someone else, eyes closed, just, just yelling, save me, save me, and the sea goes completely still, and they're still screaming. It was that quick. Jesus, as calm as the water now, turns to them, and he asks them an interesting question. He says, why do you have so much fear? You know, they're afraid because their external circumstances and internal fears have overcome them. They're practically afraid because they could drown, and they're irrationally afraid because they might face the underworld. The external storm and the internal storm were raging with worry. And he follows up that question with the second one, deeper even. Why do you have such little faith? You see, Jesus draws a connecting line here between fear and faith. The first question why do you have so much fear? The second, why do you have so little faith? And there is a real and robust connection between this, these two things, fear and faith. You see, when it comes to faith, it's important to ask, what is your faith in? Because the disciples have actually placed their faith in this little wooden boat that they're holding on to. If it fails, we're going in, and if we're going in, we're going to the underworld. Their faith was in what was holding them in the natural And like the disciples, we're often like this. You see, our faith is is planted in the natural world around us. Most often, we place our faith in the things in our lives that give us some sense of control. Oftentimes, in frightening circumstances, we most often stand, first and foremost, on our faith in ourselves, our faith in our own skills or our own resolute personality. We're not going to let this get to us. And then we our faith transfers oftentimes to our resources. Faith in our financial accounts, in other people coming through for us. Faith in the markets, faith in our job. In whatever natural resources we can place our faith, we look for it to solve our natural fear. But what happens when, when those places that we place our faith, like that wooden boat or like the markets or, or like anything, what happens when they begin to shake? Our faith fails us. See, Jesus confronted this in the disciples. He's saying, natural circumstances will always storm around you. And your faith better be planted in something more stable than your resources. Your fear may grow out of the natural storm, but you better have your faith rooted in something much more solid. Because if you place your faith in the natural, when, not if, When the storms come, you'll be clinging to the side of a boat or a savings account or a news report to give you some sense of stability amidst the storm. If our faith is in the natural world, ourselves, or our resources, then both our faith and our fear are at the mercy of the circumstances around us. And if they get rocky, then our whole life gets rocky. Our faith is one storm or one pandemic from complete breakdown. But if you place your faith in God, then no matter the the natural storms out there that come crashing, you can find yourself standing on a supernatural peace that doesn't shake in the storm. See, like Jesus, you can rest in the midst of it you can be able to sleep through the night while the entire world quakes. You see, fear is common, but the most, it's probably the most common emotion for us. And when it comes to fear, there's usually two sources. There's external circumstances, and there is internal speculation. External circumstance, internal speculation. Now, external circumstances. This is when a season goes bad or when the future gets uncertain. And a preacher, a good preacher right here would normally list off a dozen examples of different drastic situations that would ensure to draw the audience in. Like, you know external circumstances, but but safe to say, sitting there in your living room or wherever you are, I don't have to go through any examples. Because we're sitting in one right now, aren't we? Unprecedented. The virus started across the world, and many of us watched that map as it creeped closer, like some horror movie. We get the external storm and the danger and the circumstances. They cause real fear. We're living it, right? But there's a second type of fear generator. Not just external circumstances, but internal speculations. And they're entirely different than the first. A speculation is defined as the forming of a belief without evidence. The forming of a belief without evidence. Speculations are what if questions with the terrible, unfounded outcome at the end of it. And for the, for the disciples, the real circumstances of fear was this boat in the storm. But the speculation is, well, what if the demons from the deep get us? Or, or what if we go down to the underworld? And we know speculations. Usually there's something like this. What, what if he's cheating? What if the job falls through? What if my family gets in a car accident? I mean, I've been driving and had that thought and all of a sudden I'm living in a, in a reality with no evidence. I'm living emotionally in a future that doesn't exist with my family dead. Have you had those those speculations? They come at the strangest times, but they enter your mind and suddenly you're rehearsing a movie, a horror movie of your life. There's an, an unlimited number of, what, of these what ifs that we face throughout our day. But again, these speculations are crystal clear. Like with, the, with the, the virus, what if I get it? And on the other side of what if I get it, we're all of a sudden living in a reality that doesn't exist yet. And there's catastrophic imaginations, right? Like we imagine these terrible things. Speculations start small, but they, they quickly gather steam. They snowball into worst case scenarios. And when it comes to fear, it's important to know the difference between internal speculations and external circumstances. It's very important. Because most often, what is terrorizing and tormenting us, and our heart and our mind, isn't always the external circumstance. You see, what takes out our peace, what spreads like wildfire, is the speculation that comes with it. You see, we allow these what-ifs to run rampant. And when I'm emotionally living in an imaginary future, a situation that's tragic, I need to realize that I'm being crushed by fear of a future that does not exist. Speculations create an anxious future. Speculations run to worry. Worry is defined as a state of anxiety over potential problems. Worry is emotionally living in an imaginary future. Emotionally present, in an imaginary future. And so, like the disciples in the boat, we have external circumstances right now, and we have internal speculations, and they're both causing us anxiety and fear. And so, what do we do? Well, first, in your heart and mind, begin to separate the circumstances from the, se- from the speculations. I mean, if I were you, I'd make a list. I mean, you're quarantined right now. You got nothing better to do, right? You might as well make a list, make two columns, and on one side put, what am I facing? That's external circumstances. On the other side, what is internal speculation? Because when you know the difference, you can respond appropriately. When you know what it is, when you know what is external and what's internal, you can begin to appropriately deal with the situation. And so, how do we deal with these speculations? This is an important one. How do you deal with the what if, terrifying emotional futures that we're living in? Well, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us this in verse 3 We have divine weapons to demolish speculations. Now, this is packed with power. First of all, as Jesus' followers, we are not unarmed or empty handed when it comes to fear. We're not empty-handed when it comes to speculations. It says we have a defense, but it's not a worldly defense. It's, it's a divine, heavenly defense. It's a divine weapon. And these weapons demolish what? Speculations. They demolish what if. You see, when the anxious speculation comes knocking, we have a defense that, that breaks it down, that, that de-escalates it to its rightful size, that destroys the what ifs that otherwise will destroy us. So, when you are in a situation and the what ifs are sapping your peace and robbing your joy, you don't have to live that way. God's word says you are equipped to fight such things. You have been empowered by God to demolish those what if speculations about the imaginary future that's so terrible. One way to fight them is, is the last part of the verse there in 2 Corinthians. It says, He says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. A speculation is an anxious thought about an uncertain future. Take it prisoner and make it obedient to Jesus in the present. We need to be very careful about the speculations of coronavirus or the effects of it that it's had on our culture. And we've all been witness to some shocking examples locally and internationally of people acting out of anxiety, stemming from frightening and terrifying, what if? Speculation. And if we are honest, when we watch the news, when we watch that map with the spreading disease, the speculation grips us and we think, what if? And if we're not careful, we can emotionally live in a future that's tragic with all the emotional baggage gripping us. Listen, anytime we face external circumstances and storms, wisdom says to adjust accordingly and take precautions. But listening to speculations, continuing to roll different scenarios around in your head, when you act on a speculation, well, you act differently, inappropriately than you would to that external reality. And then you know what we begin to do? We begin to pass on these speculations to our friends and family and neighbors. These what ifs. Well, did you think about this? What if? Well, what if this? And what if this? And pretty soon we're all what ifing ourselves into panic. Did you know that speculations have zero good effect on you or anyone else? You see, speculations, the what ifs, they hit us where we're vulnerable, where we're vulnerable, and they leave us fearful. A speculation. What it does is it fires your adrenal glands, your heart begins to to race, it ignites that fight or flight reflex, your breath gets shorter and it leaves you in an emotionally fearful state of being. It changes how you feel, all based on the imaginary future that you're not even living in. It's, It's imaginary, but you're feeling it. We feel it as if, as if the imaginary future was actually happening when it didn't. Remember, worry is emotionally living in an imaginary future, and we don't have to live that way. We can begin to recognize a speculation when it comes, take it captive, make it obey the peace and strength of Christ in the present, not the future, in the present. God declares that you shouldn't live in, that you don't have to entertain these thoughts you should offensively and proactively take them captive. Because the reality is, when, it comes to, when a speculation enters our mind, when a speculation, when the what-if enters our mind, someone's gonna get taken captive. It's either gonna be you taken hostage by fear, or you're gonna take the worry captive by faith. But someone will be a captive. And I have a feeling, in a sense, right now, there's a lot of us watching that are captive, taken hostage by fear, of what if. And you don't have to live that way. Back to the boat. There they are at night. The storm hits. The waves crash. And young Peter is feeling this panic rise. The storm above, the, the underworld below. And yet Peter learned that day that Jesus can overcome anything, both external and internal. And from there, Peter walked with Jesus years beyond that learning about faith, learning about fear. He saw storms come. He saw Jesus conquer them. He saw Jesus do miraculous things and his faith was strengthened. He saw Jesus be crucified and it, it crushed him. But being forgiven and finding redemption in Christ, his, his faith grew to new heights than it ever was before. We saw Peter panicking in the boat with that storm. And now I want to go back to Acts 12, to Peter. Peter in jail. He's older, he's matured, he's he's, wisened, his faith is stronger, but he's in jail. His wrists are chained, it says, to his two captors. Tomorrow, he'd be brought in front of a screaming crowd, displayed for everybody, and executed. think about what it would be like to be Peter at that moment, that night. His circumstances are a disaster. The external circumstances are terrifying. There's a real storm around him, something to really worry about. His life is about to come to end. But if we were Peter, we must admit that the circumstances alone wouldn't keep us up at night. I mean, I know I couldn't have slept, but also, what speculations would we be fighting? You see, you or I may lay there, imagining what the next day would be like. I mean, if anybody had room for speculation, it's Peter there in jail, twelve hours from from execution. His imagination could have run wild with, with the images of being dragged in front of a yelling mob, publicly humiliated, asked to renounce the name of his Savior. And if he doesn't, killed right there in front of everyone. I mean, could you have slept? Tossing and turning and worried and frightened. And, and young Peter was, was freaking out about the underworld in a boat during a storm while Jesus was sleeping. And I wouldn't blame Peter if, in this very story later on, he's up late, shaking, crying, worrying about what if. But if we go to the next verse, Acts 12, verses 6, it says, The night before his trial, Peter was chained with two chains between two soldiers, and he was sleeping. When Peter was panicking in the boat, what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. And here, years later, trials and storms later, Peter, when others would have been panicking, what's he doing? Just like his Savior, Peter is sleeping. You see, Peter had seen Jesus sleep in the midst of the storm. He had seen his Savior have peace under the greatest of threats and even death. He had seen heaven hold Jesus when hell itself was set against him. He had seen and watched all this. And remember, a disciple wants to be like their master. Peter wants to be like his master, like Jesus. And he followed Jesus as close as he could for many years. And through faith, he was becoming more and more like him. This is the life that Jesus offers us, to be more like him as we follow him. And like Peter, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like him. We marinate in his peace and we take on the flavor of heaven. His Holy Spirit holds us when our heart and mind fail. Jesus builds his divine nature within us as we follow and grow in faith. And through faith, our fears turn to peace. People listening, Jesus offers a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the more you're with him, the more your faith is found in him through a trial, through a storm. We find ourselves today in a storm that just seems overwhelming. we got to admit that. We find ourselves in the midst of a perfect storm of, of, of daunting external circumstances, disease, finances, all these things, coupled with prevailing internal speculations. And both of them are warring on us. It's not just a disease we're fighting. It's the speculations of what if... And that has us acting and speaking and believing in ways we never would otherwise. The thought about resting in peace is as ridiculous to some of us right now as it must have felt to some of those in the boat during that storm. And the thought of resting in peace may seem foreign because maybe you're not sleeping well at night. But God calls you to a life that is deeply rooted in his presence and in his peace. And it's an offer. It's it's real. It's it's tangible. Jesus spoke to his followers. He said this in John. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift. It's a gift of peace of mind and peace of heart. I don't give you peace like the world does. That's what he says. You see, the world's peace depends on earthly circumstances (sighs) going well for me. How's everything doing? I'm at peace. It usually means things are going well outside of us. But heaven's peace can be present within us when hell's breaking loose. The world's peace comes through control. Heaven's peace comes through surrender. The world's peace relies on power. Heaven's peace relies on prayer. The world's peace leads to worry. And, and heaven's peace leads us to worship. The world's peace is just one moment from a new fear. And heaven's peace is just one moment at a time in faith. Jesus said, I don't give you peace like the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be afraid. The circumstances around us are storming. The speculations within us are screaming. But there is a God who will hold you through the storm. And there is a peace that can hold your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Peter learned to rest in the storm. And you can rest in the storm as well. Anxiety and anger and insecurity and all the other things that are, that are rooted deep in fear don't have to dictate how we behave, believe, believe. Or feel any longer there's a way out and Peter found it it was pursuing this relationship with Jesus and resting in the presence of his master and through that well he became more like the Son of God and he found himself sleeping on the night of his execution not only that Jesus not only calmed the storm but he miraculously saved Peter from that execution God can work in both the external circumstances and the internal speculations. The coronavirus storm has probably revealed a lot about our faith. It might have revealed the strength of your faith or maybe the weakness of it. We can all admit in some way or another, I need, I need to I need faith like Peter's. I want to rest in God's peace. I'm tired, I'm exhausted of living in worry. In constant fear. And so now many of us have time. (laughs) We have time to do stuff that we normally normally would say, I don't have time for that. We have time to pursue God in a way that we normally say, ah, I'm just too busy. And for others, others of us, we need to admit that we should carve out time for what matters most in life. You know, pursuing God, strengthening our belief and our faith in Jesus. Rooting our hearts and minds in His Word. I mean, get into the Bible today. Get in some prayer time. Listen for God. He wants to speak to you. You know, we're going to put out some daily devotionals in the coming weeks for us to turn our hearts and minds to. And I would encourage you, when you get those, just make them a part of your daily pattern. And many of you are sitting at home this week. Download and open the YouVersion Bible app. And start a a, a weekly reading study on peace. That's a great thing to do. a, A weekly study on peace. Do that daily. For anyone listening, I want you to know that God is calling you to a new reality of peace. And for some of you out there, you've been a follower of Jesus for decades. But it's been revealed in the past days that your faith needs some strengthening. What this means is you need to pursue God in a new way. Maybe the way you've been pursuing the past decade, maybe we should try something new. Maybe it's time to, to engage with God in a new way. For someone else out there watching this right now, you've made it through this whole video and, and, and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus as your savior. You don't know Jesus as, as, as yours. You haven't accepted that. But, but he offers you something incredible. And maybe in the midst of this chaos and this storm, it's your time to choose Jesus and say, I want to believe, I want that peace. His promise is this, it's incredible. Jesus' promise is forgiveness of your past, peace in your present, and hope for your future. Forgiveness in your past, peace in your present, and hope in your future. If you'd like to follow Jesus and begin your your journey of faith, if you'd like to, to receive this gift Of God and and peace. I want you to pray right now with me. You can pray under your breath out loud, but pray this. Say, Jesus, I know you died and rose again. And I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your peace. I trust in you and I follow you. I want you guys to know I love you. Feel free to email me, daniel at theorchardlife.com. You'll be hearing from me more in the future. And um, if you have any questions, any comments, reach out to us. We love you. We're praying for you. And we're going to get through this. We're going to go through this. My dad always told me, if you know you're going to go through something, the only choice you have is, how do I go through it? So we're going to go through the coming days and weeks together. We're going to go through it. But we get to choose. Do we go through it with panic? to go through it with peace? Do we walk through the coming weeks with faith or with fear? Am I going to choose in the coming weeks to partner with wisdom or with worry? We're going to make it through. Love you. I'm praying for you. Remember who we are. We are the people who love God and love people. I'll see you next time.